Hello, welcome to the No Opinion Podcast, Season 2, No Space for Design. I'm Lyle Bruce. And I'm Ryan McLeod. And we run Agency of None, we're a design studio in Dundee. This season of the No Opinion Podcast is supported by the National Lottery through Creative Scotland. In episode two, we're going to be looking at uh, empty space and we're going to be looking at uh, some of the challenges around that sort of space. We're going to be looking at um, why we why we maybe can't use spaces um, and also maybe what could be done to allow us to use those spaces in the way that might benefit our, our creative community. Um, but we're going to kick off this episode with Gary Kennedy from Kennedy Twaddle, who is an architect, um, who, when we spoke to him, made a very passionate sort of statement about state of our, our cities and the empty spaces so over to Gary I mean it seems so obvious there's a creative community that's willing to participate wants to be together and can inject life to a city centre that's dying so I help them out you know you're helping yourself out long term I think because you know if that wasn't to happen what's you know Pound shops are going to stop even going in. Charity shops are going to, you know, you know where's everyone going? Yeah. Why do they keep building student accommodation out with you know, new builds when the whole above ground floor and every street almost, and you're talking like first, second, third, fourth, fifth even, are redundant and empty? You know, wouldn't it be fantastic if it was, you know, take it back, well, not that it's ever been dwellings there, but it could be. I mean, Gary's perspective is one, a sentiment that that a lot of us share is that there's all this empty space that exists and a desire to find space and to utilise space and we just can't make that meet in the middle. And I suppose, that I mean, there's, there's so many reasons and so many complexities that surround that and in particular within retail and in, in city centres across, I mean, across the UK, across the world, and there's there's a lot of reasons why we we find ourselves in this time with big gaping holes in the high street. Um, I mean, there's massively rising costs. There are businesses who struggle to get through the pandemic. There are many sort of big department stores or chain stores that have just gone under. Um, there's, there's a real rise in sort of online shopping as well and, and we've seen people's buying habits really change over the past sort of of decades and, and move towards more of this sort of convenience um sort of the, the amazon model i suppose yeah i mean i think that uh, cult- culturally we've changed a lot about how we how we go about shopping and what our city centers were for they, they used to be kind of a community space as well people would kind of go and meet up there and do things I mean, that's, that still happens, but there's less reason to kind of go and use them like that now. I remember somebody putting it to me a few years ago that we're now in the era of sort of experience uh, spaces. So, you know, you go to a space in a city centre for an experience, your coffee shop that might uh, allow you to meet up with people, but also maybe does live music or does other things. And, and you kind of go there because that's something you can't get online. I mean, what's probably interesting about it is, is why are these spaces sitting empty though? Um, for a long term, I mean, there there's obviously a need for space in our cities. Um, it, it's maybe not exactly what these spaces were set up for, but why do they sit there and not get repurposed? And why do we have these sort of conversations about 
the need for design or creativity to 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 have space in our city but we we kind of have that against the backdrop of lots and lots of empty retail space because it seems on the surface that that's a simple connection to kind of make yeah and i i think city centers have become a place um a desirable place to have a business there because of the footfall because of the, the the people who congregate there um and sort of flow through those spaces um therefore the costs of those spaces have increased the closer to the city center you get the, the higher the price tag um but often then the problem is that, that the landlords who own these spaces who control these spaces want market rent for this and have such a big portfolio that they can leave it lying empty and are happy to wait until that perfect client comes along to fill the space but i guess the question you've got to ask is in in this day and age and in the, the current climate who's the perfect client for that sort of space so on this topic of city centre empty spaces and the reasons why they're empty for a sustained period of time and how we actually go about reanimating and utilising them, um, we spoke to Annie Mars, who is the lead officer for the UNESCO City of Design designation in Dundee. Um, and at the same time, uh, Gillian Eason, director of Creative Dundee. We, along with UNESCO, have been working with the local authority here in Dundee for the last maybe five years um, on and off, trying to kind of do more with high street space because they totally acknowledge that it is an issue. And so we've met with property agents over the years and he's run a number of successful projects on the high street. Um, the challenge is often that we're given high street space for very short periods of time. And that's not what our sector needs nor deserves and especially after coming through the pandemic like it's yeah everything's just really tough at the moment so the complexities are around often that the landlords don't or the property owners don't often live in the UK and they maybe aren't invested in Dundee or the place as much as we all are so that's often the the main factor is that actually the property agents might be on side because they're local but actually the owners of the property would rather just let it sit empty. Uh, well, I think it's it's that thing, isn't it? So you've, there's a huge amount of empty property for a whole host of reasons. And sometimes unpicking those reasons is quite mm. challenging as well. And actually, it seems like a really easy ask to just go, oh, well, there's an empty shop. There's a need. Let's just match those, those two kind of things up together. But often the properties that you're looking at from the outside are in really bad condition. Mm. Um, you know, there's loads of issues around things like, you know, just the, all the kind of practical stuff. So the idea that you can literally just open a door and sort of walk in and start occupying it, mm. it is a total myth. <laughs> like that's just, that's not the case. And irrelevant of whether you're needing a high tech space or low tech space, you, know, you still need running water to like flush the toilet. So I think there's some there's some of those things that um, that make that kind of really difficult. Um, and I think like Gillian's points really, really kind of hits the nail on the head actually around that, the local aspect, because we are totally invested in the city and, and the people who live here and work here and those ideas and, and that sort of things generated all the time. But yeah, you're trying to kind of break down this wall to 
get to people to sell that idea to people who have massive portfolios all over the world and you know their Dundee unit is a tiny line um, on their massive investment portfolio and might not even be causing them that much money like that much of a kind of financial difficulty so a lot of the time we can go in or maybe cultural organizations can go in and they can um find a way to potentially save landlords money or you know you might offer to do up the shop but sometimes like mm. they just don't even care <laughs> so that's that's really that's really really hard and building those relationships is really really important Empty spaces in the retail environment are something that we kind of hear about a lot when we're kind of talking about empty space and needing space to set up design studios or or creative space in general. And there's other examples of things being done. Um, So two of them that spring to mind are probably Edinburgh Printmakers EP spaces and Outer Spaces. And these both utilise sort of empty retail space within shopping centres and on the high street they're interesting models but they also bring with them their own challenges and i think looking at these that you're kind of still working as that sort of stopgap model to another tenant so it's kind of saying artists creatives can move into these spaces and use them but as soon as a better tenant comes along you're out and that kind of takes us back to sort of episode one when we're talking about the vision building and the challenges there it's the same model as that and then if you add into that, maybe that most of these spaces are inside shopping centres, um, particularly in Dundee, uh, we use the Wellgate Centre in the city. You're then confined by the opening hours of the centre. Um, so you're going to have to get out after the shopping centre shuts, unless the shopping centre can be negotiated into having extended opening for you or having extra security put on. But then that all comes at a cost. And I think it is what Annie and Gillian mentioned, the, the short term versus the long term. Um, yes, these projects are great for a short-term gain, the, the short-term reuse, but it doesn't give that long-term sustainable future. And that's ultimately what we are looking at um, with this podcast series. But also I feel that in order for the creative community, in order for designers to be taken more seriously, we need to stop being this sort of transient movement that will just utilise substandard space because we're quite happy with it. I feel that we need to demand better in order to be taken seriously as a as a discipline, as a as a community, um, and as a sector. I think there's a kind of reluctance inside the retail world and within landlords, city councils, other areas to kind of admit that this is over. You know that the retail is 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 dead, and I think we're clinging on to the the idea of the past and that we can get back in these tenants that can pay these rates that can that can do this because we've built these economic systems that 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 need this to be to not be over so we're you know that that feeds into the how we do the rates you know as well and how how we we, we look at how that that system works and that's often the thing that people forget about you know so even take out the take out the equation the creative world uh, trying to use this space it's like if you're a, if you're a retailer in the city and you want to have a high street presence you might take on a shop thinking great i'll get lots of footfall and i'll be able to sell my things but then you you have you're you then realize you've got all this extra rates to pay so yeah at, at this point i want to bring annie mars back in and um, she's had lots of experience um like working with the the 
Dundee City Council, but also um, commercial landlords across many different projects. And I felt it'd be a good opportunity for her to just give a real um, simple explanation of of some of the complexities of rates and and how they actually work. You're liable for rates, um, what's technically called non-domestic rates, um, on properties. Now, they are... um, connected to the rateable value of the property so say for example the rateable value of your property is 15 grand you pay just under half of that in rates that's how they calculate it's just about under half so you'd pay like just under seven grand um in rates obviously on top of your rent and rates are what's paid there's dundee city council collect the rates on behalf of the scottish government and they give that money to the scottish government they're they're an additional cost that maybe we don't always think about because it's one of those kind of like hidden costs so a lot of time you think to yourself oh well the the rent's 15 grand but actually you're thinking well actually you're going to be paying 21 because you've got to kind of factor that in on top Um, and then there's lots of people who are um, eligible for rates relief so depending on the setup of your organization um whether you're maybe a small business um, and you come under a threshold, uh, whether you're a charity, things like that, you can apply for an exemption. And then potentially you don't have to pay some or all of that amount. And those exemptions, um, as you say, the rates are still owed to the Scottish government. So those exemptions still have to be paid. So they're all part of a big spreadsheet somewhere for the local authority then has to... Use like find that money and pay Scottish government. So yeah. it's not like a magical world where rates just disappear. Exactly, it's not like it's free, uh, yeah, free money. Um, yeah, somebody somebody's got to pay somewhere along the lines, um, and I guess that's where it does become challenging because whether well that will be your local authority, so your local authority has to have a set amount of money set aside in their budget to pay for the exemption. So if they give you eighty um, percent or hundred percent. Yeah, exemption. They're paying it. They're paying it somewhere. So it is. It's. It's kind of. If you flip it around, it's actually a great way for a local authority to support a project, because actually, um, they could be making a contribution by paying your rates for you. So yeah, we've got all these spaces, and they're all rated at a certain value. And I think we have to look at how we can rezone some of this and how how that can work. Um, so yeah, Dundee's got. You know, I think a Taco Bell coming uh, onto Reform Street, and um, that you know that that sort of business can support that and can can pay that, and we're celebrating that. And it's like a question: Is that right to celebrate it? Our economic team, our city council, are are posting on social media great news for the city. You know, we're having Taco Bell, but Dundee is a city of 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 high deprivation, and you know we have a lot of issues around food and obesity and things like that how you know if, if if all we can do is support bringing in you know global chains that sell food of questionable nutritional value and <laughs> what does that say for the future of our city centers and our high streets our populations our, our our communities and why are we not creating a much more strategic long-term vision for how we can regenerate these spaces using the resources we have in the city and, and actually bring them back to you know spaces for uh, local ownership essentially and how how we can then 
have our own identity within that. And I think it's fair to say that these big corporations can shut down a unit as quick as they set it up. And um, we've seen that with other other businesses, other chains that have come to the city. And it's about turning a profit for their shareholders. It's not about making a genuine connection with the people. It's about punting as much of their product as they can in order to make a profit. But the reason this is celebrated uh, from a from a local authority point of view is we're saying, finally, somebody can come and pay the rates and the value of that space. Look, it's not dead yet. And we're trying to say, keep coming. You know, Taco Bell are here. Um, everyone knows who that is, isn't it? It's a big American company. So, you know, they've got they've got faith to come here. You can come here too. So, you know, you're, you're then speaking to other people that associate to that because a lot of, a lot of, um, retail and especially around fast food and things like that it tends to it tends to like attracts like and and there's we like to clump them together because it gives the it gives the consumer choice that's that's the way it's kind of put out there so you know if you can get that one in high street then you'll get another one and it's like you've got to question if that's really a good way of working things yeah and i I think in the first half of this episode we've posed many of the problems um, we went in on all, all the issues that, that we we see on the high street. Um, so now we want to move on to look at what's a potential solution to this? Who is actually doing this quite well? Um, and that sort of leads us on to Scott Mackay from Mid-Steeple Quarter. They have a, a completely different model um, that's centred around community ownership. And um, Scott's a, a former voluntary member of the board but is now executive director. So I'll pass on to him to, to give a bit of a, an overview of, of what Mid-Steeple Quarter is and how it came about. So Dumfries, population about 40,000, uh, market town, um, gateway town to the region of Dumfries and Galloway. It's the largest town in that region, a population of, of 100, 120,000, I think-ish, for the whole region. It's a very l- large region for that population. Um, it's about uh, it's about seventy five miles from one end to the other, um, and so the market town is. It was because of its size and because of its position, sort of through the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, really was taken over high street town centre, taken over by multiple chains. So having previously been a market town with. Um, a historic kind of Georgian and early Victorian urban form and buildings, which had been owned by local businesses, local families, that all changed. And the sort of national chain retailers moved in and the buildings become snapped up by pension funds. Um, so the, that local aspect of ownership disappeared. And then as retail was contracted and uh, you know, f- values have reduced. Um, the a lot of these buildings have just sat empty because they they're they're on an asset balance sheet for a pension fund, and they don't want to devalue it by leasing it out for much less than they were used to. And the the the, te- the, the rental costs are just so low now that they just can't justify it. So they sit empty. Um, and it was a particular chunk right in the middle of the high street of of a number of buildings which have sat empty for a long time over ten years. So. This uh, it was a, it was a creative community that really started to kick this off. So the Stove Network, um, which I think was set up in two thousand and eleven, um, this is well before my time, 
um, the uh, creatives that uh, started to get involved in um, looking at the future of the town. How could they um, create a community and, and create spaces that would benefit the community and potentially start to regenerate the high street? And so at the Stove Network, um, um, with funding from and, and assistance from the local authority, Council, Galloway Council and from Creative Scotland, started an ongoing conversation about um, what the future of the high street could look like and what the problems were. And so there's a lot of community engagement, creative community engagement that happened over a number of years that led to the creation of Mid-Staple Quarter. And it was set up as a community benefits society with a membership. We now have a membership of just under 600 and uh, they elect a board um, of volunteers uh, who, who essentially look after the governance of the organisation, and um, you know we've we've gradually we 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 got a, we took forward a, a vision for what how we could take a chunk of the high street and use that as a, a as like a um, a catalyst to have wider implications. So if we could focus on this particular central section where the majority of the the vacancies were, then we can deal with that and turn that around, show how we can attract investment into that part of the town centre. The hope is being that that would have a knock-on effect to the confidence in the town centre overall, and that private that would start to lever in private investment to turn the, the high street around. And there are signs that that's already beginning to happen. Um, so yeah, it's a community benefit society. As a member, you can you 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 have a have a stake in it. You 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 pay a pound as a sort of token gesture to you having a stake in the in the high street. And the membership own the the organisation. They own the properties that are owned by the organisation. So it's a true sort of community uh, kind of movement in a sense that is taking back control of the ownership of buildings in our high street. Yes, I think that's a really interesting case study that that goes on in Dumfries with Mid Steeple Quarter, and it's very much people taking back the ownership of their high street and understanding that this is something that 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 needs to be brought back into sort of local local hands, essentially, and and trying to 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 build it again from the ground up for for a sustainable future. You know, we've we've gone through a period of commercial growth in, in the high street for big companies coming in and and now that's that's burst and we're, we're kind of you know up with lots and lots of empty spaces but it's not to say that there isn't demand for for that and it's like how do we how do we change that ownership away from these sort of private equity sort of um, groups that maybe have them on on the balance sheets of, of pension funds and how do you bring them back again into local ownership and it can only really happen I think by having a really healthy discussion around this with people who have wants for for changing these spaces back and the people who have the ability to help that happen and and also to to support and create a sort of structure for that to happen i think scott sort of goes on to talk a bit more about the the financial model of that and how that worked and i think that's also quite fascinating before we even started acquiring properties we had to fund various elements of it just setting up the the organization in the first place so that that was kicked off by a, a grant application made by the stove network to the visa galloway council the visa galloway council have a have a fund called the town center living fund where they take the council tax income from second homes across the region 
and they ring fence that money. And this fund is to, the money goes towards projects which are trying to regenerate town centres, particularly where there's a, an, a residential element to it. So it's about trying to um, regenerate town centres by bringing buildings back into residential accommodation use. So creating essentially creating new houses in the town centres. That fund um, was applied to first to, to start to basically get the cost of setting up the organisation and a lot of that sort of community engagement consultation element as part of that to create Mid-Steeple Quarter. From there, it was, it's been a real kind of a variety, a jigsaw of various grant applications to different organisations, whether it's the council, it's lottery money, it's Scottish Land Fund, it's Scottish Government, to piece together the, the, the driving it forward, the organisation of it. So, for example, we did a master plan, we did an architectural design competition to, to which the master plan came out of. Then, you know, other funds to look at feasibility studies. So, you know, you've got a, you've got a property that you want to acquire, but what do you do with it? And you know, a community group, how do you know what to do? unless you've got expertise within that community group? How do you take that forward? So, Scottish Land Fund have been really helpful with that. They we apply to stage one, and then they fund that development work. So, prior to you acquiring the building, they will fund feasibility study like an architect and a business planning consultants to come up with a, a plan for that building of what it could be what could be done for. and then that feeds into your justification for stage two which is the funds to actually acquire the building we'd interestingly we haven't actually this was part of the idea of of um Mid-Stable Court, that we could use the legislation around community empowerment and community right to buy to acquire empty properties and we've used that process but actually when it's come to the actual acquisition, we haven't had to use that money yet. And what we've acquired properties through a number of different means. First property was an asset transfer from the council. So it was a council property that they'd bought for regeneration purposes. They were going to knock it down. Their plans changed. They then didn't know what to do with the building. We came along and said, we'll have it. We've got an idea of what we could do with it. So for a pound, they transferred the building into our ownership. Um, raise enough funds to start the process of uh, building building a team to really drive the vision forward and make it reality. So yeah, yeah. My other ones, uh, we did crowdfunding. So we actually did a you know a six month campaign. You know where we then we raised a couple of hundred thousand pounds to acquire two buildings. So it was when you look at if you look at numbers of who were supporting it, you know there was hundreds of people who were putting in small amounts. So in terms of the spread of who was involved in giving that money, it, it's it's really a few hundred people and it was, um, they wanted to do something to deal with the, because nobody's, they're all moaning about uh, the state of the town centre. Nobody's doing anything about it. Here's my small way that I can feel that I've made a difference. That That's the kind of main motivation for a lot of folks. When you actually look at the amount of money that's where it's different. And that doesn't really reflect the, the, the quantity of the people. So there's a couple of individuals and a trust fund, a charitable trust fund from a local wealthy family with connections in Dumfries that they put big chunk of money in. If you were to look at it in terms of proportionality of the, the amounts of money, I would say about 20% was from 80% of the people 
and and eighty percent of the money was from twenty percent of people, right? So, so and that's the way you, you got that is the way crowdfunders often work. Roughly, yeah. you will get a few individuals who put a big amount in, uh, and the majority of people put small amounts in, and 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 it worked. You know, it it, it did work, and we've got a good relationship now with some of those funders who who are supportive of us, um, not just financially, but sort of um, spiritually and uh, motivationally as well, you know. So I think community ownership um, as a model is, is fantastic, especially as Mid-Steeple Quarter have, have done. Um, and it is being championed as this, this great example um, of how to do it. But I think when it comes down to, as, as Scott described, they still needed a, a large financial backer. So even if you are purchasing a property for a pound, there are still lots of, of maintenance, of sort of upgrading works, um, fire alarms, other safety equipment, bringing things up to uh, building regulations. Um, so there is a significant amount of investment to actually make this work. And that's got to some come from somewhere. But, I mean, as Scott described, there are lots of different funds available to, to sort of make that happen. So it, it, it is possible um, wherever you are. It's just there is a, a lot of difficulty in getting to um, the sort of numbers that you need in order to, to, to purchase a property, especially if you're in a, a bigger city where city centre property has a much higher value. But it's it's not just the the sort of ownership of the buildings where uh, Mid Steeple Quarter have a, a sort of an interesting approach. It's also in how they operate their spaces and the the, the relationships uh, with their tenants. So I'll let Scott describe a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we have we have had a, a, a traditional tenant uh, that we inherited in one of the buildings, um, and so we have had that normal tenant landlord relationship um they are just le- they're actually leaving this week their lease comes to an end we've had that their lease has been in place for a year we purchased that property over a year ago their lease comes to an end this week they, they are moving out um and the we're, we're going to put that on the market so but it's a shop it's a relatively modern uh, fitted out shop unit um with uh, three floors above that have got potential for residential use but uh, good to have, you know, a solid tenant on the ground floor to from an income point of view. So we will market that. Hopefully, we'll get a, a traditional tenancy and a rent from that going forward. But our other properties, we took the view that um, a different model was needed, uh, and and that has been today what we've called meanwhile use model. So part of the logic to that is that we think that there's a lot of demand from local entrepreneurs, local creatives, um, enterprises that can't access high street properties financially. So, and, and one of the big big issues of that is, 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 is rates, it's business rates, it's a big obstacle. So how could we deal with that issue, but also um, deal with short, the, create the potential for short-term rents so instead of signing up for 10 years or minimum of five years, you could do it for a very short-term pop-up, so like a week or a month or a year, for example. So we have we have all of this, you know, so we have one building where we have uh, two floors of it as, as leased for three years, but it's not a lease, it's a license of occupation. 
and the top floor is and again it's on three years so it's a, we've got a photography studio on the top floor we've got on the middle floor we've got workshops and office space and studios and on the ground floor retail and storage and that uh, ground and first floor operates um it's a it's a group called the guild and they have um about 60 70 um producers and makers and and uh, artists who are members of their organization and so they um they can sell through that retail outlet but also be involved in you know a, a program of workshops that will run on in the first floor space and can also rent studio space or office space on the first floor as well so that works very well because as a not a traditional tenant as an occupier under license they are not liable for business rates mid-steeple quarter retains the responsibility for business rates and because of the way we're set up as a community benefit society not for profit we've been able to get the the um uh, the assessor to give us the discretionary i can't remember what the term is discretionary uh, we avoid having to play business rates essentially because of the way we are set up mm-hmm. um so that has been a big benefit to make it affordable for the the, the tenants. The Midsteeple's got a real potential um, and it works well, you know, in Dumfries. I think um, one of the things they've, they've obviously been very good at is building a good community around them. And that's been really important to try and getting this project going is to build that community and have that discussion. You know, we've had a look at these spaces in this episode and look back at sort of what, what's their empty space, what the challenges are around using it. Looked at some of the, the issues around rates and other areas that might be prohibitive for things to happen. Um, also kind of explored the fact that ownership of buildings isn't maybe necessarily as straightforward as you might think. And that's kind of what holds us back. That also may be in the vision that, that we still cling on to for you know how things maybe were in the past. So that's probably a good place to end episode two on. Um, in episode three, we're going to be looking much more at the community and and how the culture uh, of that affects the spaces and how you how you go about creating that. Um, and we're going to be chatting very much with uh, Claire Carpenter, who was involved with setting up the melting pot, um, and and discovering some of her insights into that. Yep. So again, all the links will be in the show notes to the things that we've discussed throughout the episode. So that's it for episode. Too. just want to say thank you to all the guests who've been part of this episode and all the other episodes and everyone else who's helped us put this together and contributed their thoughts insights and ideas to this series um, yeah thank you very much and if you've been listening and anything has particularly resonated or you've got any questions or thoughts or, or things you want to contribute um, or even if you're just out there looking for space um, it's at agency of none on instagram and on twitter get in touch and see you in episode three